Thank you for tuning in to the Ask Qubit About Analytics podcast. Our mission is to make analytics practical. This is not about abstract theory, but to share true stories of how using analytics helps real-life businesses with real-life constraints make the best possible decisions to compete, grow, and thrive. I'm your host, A.G. Tan. If you are an operational leader of some kind, for example, a chief financial officer or CFO, there's always a day job to attend to which includes managing a team of people working on specific deliverables with hard deadlines to meet. In finance, there isn't much wiggle room. The numbers must be correct, and they must be on time. There is no other option. But this doesn't spare you from being asked to do more. More detailed analysis, more frequent forecasts, more data to look at. At some point when you have run out of extra hours in the day, perhaps you start looking at whether technology can help. But that introduces a whole new problem. Putting in new technology means more investment of time, at least for a while. How to tackle this problem is what we're going to talk about today. Our guest today is Brian Crone, who is an experienced CEO and CFO who drove financial transformation initiatives at several companies, including, full disclosure, former clients of Qubit. Today, he is joining me in his new role as an executive coach who helps leaders grow professionally through a combination of coaching and expert advice. And we are going to talk about what he learned about the how of transformation and what advice he has for all the finance leaders who are facing these challenges. So welcome, Brian, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you, AG. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Brian, let's start by hearing a little bit more about you. Tell us about how you ended up being a CFO and a CEO and how you balanced your day job with new initiatives and driving change. Great. Um, So I started out in public accounting, and I won't go through the whole story of it, but I ended up at uh, a company called Lutan, which I think uh, you're you're familiar with, obviously, uh, owned by a British company uh, called DMGT. And I I rose to the ranks of CFO there, along with some other responsibilities I had. Um, I did uh, a stint at an an uh, outsourcing company for a while uh, who ran payroll services as I was CFO and COO. Uh, helping them tune their efficiencies and prepare for sale. And then I spent most of my, most of my recent years at uh, Euromoney, which is a publicly traded company in the UK. Uh, and they have many uh, operating businesses. I was CEO of one of their businesses for a time and uh, spent several years as CFO of one of their businesses and then uh, um, one of their larger divisions. Great, thank you. So as a CFO, a COO, and a CEO, um, there's always a day job, right? You've got to keep things running. You've got to hire. You've got to keep people happy. You've got to keep your stakeholders informed and all of that good stuff. You've got to do your financial statements, whatever it is. All of that's a full-time day job, right? But at the same time, um, there's always room for improvement, right? So you have to drive new initiatives, you've got to, you know, change things. So 
from all this experience, can you perhaps share some examples of how you balanced the day job with the initiatives? And specifically, do you have any examples of where analytics technology was perhaps part of the transformation? Maybe you can talk about what your vision was for what you wanted and what you had to overcome in order to make progress um, and whether you ever got the whole way there. Great, yeah, there's uh, certainly uh, a lot there. Um, I think the key uh, for me and, and my teams was a mindset that this wasn't going to be a big bang. We were, weren't going to go from fire drills and late nights and manual processes to bam, new system, everything solved. It had to be uh, in my mind and what, what I tried to impress upon my teams was a mindset of a constant progress and, and kind of a, a loathing of the inefficiencies that you can see are solvable, but it takes time and the desire to stop. And as you say, when you're doing your day job and that's already 12 hours a day, how do you do that? You've got to carve out the time, even if it's a couple hours a week to take those small steps. Because what we've usually found, and I'm sure you agree, is you've got to get your system working um, efficiently and smoothly before you put anything on top of it. Because there's nothing more uh, uh, challenging than dropping new technology on top of a system that isn't working properly. So you can be tuning that system and fixing your processes. For example, I've, I've been in, in part of many finance teams where some part of the process or lots of parts of the process People are rekeying information from one system to another and maybe again to another. And you just stop and say, wow, now I know why you're doing that because it's been done that way and you don't have the time to stop and do it and maybe you don't. But that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about the mentality of loathing inefficiency. I want my teams to jump up and down when they see that and say, hey, this is a waste. We have to do a better, better job or do it a different way. So that mentality, I think, is first and foremost and a mentality of this is going to be a, a series of progressive changes. And they don't all have to be implementations of big systems. They can be small changes. They can be, uh, as I mentioned, uh, instead of cutting and pacing or rekeying, uh, small integrations, et cetera. So there's lots of ways to do it. But I think that's what I found. The teams that I've been a part of have always been buried and busy and, not, and, and really can't envision how we can do that. But but getting people on board for what that sort of vision is. It could be like this. We could end up in a situation where the close isn't always running to the last day of the month and we're jamming at the last minute. It's, it is possible, but it takes a carve out of time and a mindset of these things have to be uh, addressed. You have to be able to take um, you know, that loathing of inefficiency. I think for me is what I try to impress upon um, my teams. Yeah, so, so let me try and um, kind of paraphrase what I think I heard. So, so you gave the example of, you know, people keying numbers into one system and then keying the same numbers into another system or cutting and pasting from one system to another system. So would an example of a small incremental change that can add value, would an example of that be to invest in a technology that instead of people keying things here and then copy pasting over here, maybe investing in a technology that would 
somehow connect the two automatically so that there's at least one little step that can be taken out, right? And then once you've done that investment, it's solved and you don't have to do that one again. You can go and focus on the next thing. Is, is that the kind of thing that, that you would push people towards? Absolutely. And you know, as well as anybody, there's lots of technology that could, you don't need a, a, a giant integration or enterprise system to do some of these things. You can invest in, in those integrations at smaller points. And so, yeah, it's absolutely about those technology investments and even just being willing to make the sort of micro investments along the way that won't take you a lot of time and effort, but you just have to stop and say, I believe in the bigger mission, because although this is going to save me a couple hours a month, it's by itself not going to solve our problems. But if that mindset is in place, but absolutely, little pieces of technology or broader systems. I mean, we've where I've been, we've implemented NetSuite. You helped us implement TM1, Salesforce, all these systems talking to each other. And sometimes it's you're in, a, you're in an environment where the systems are there and it's a matter of logging a case with the IT team to connect them. And you have to go and do that. And then of course, well, we know that's gonna take work and we know that's gonna go be a couple of rounds of, of, of iterations, but you have to be willing to, to do that and make that investment. So absolutely. Any, I've always thought that if it exists in one computer and you're trying to get it over to another computer-based report, there's got to be a better way than rekeying, cutting, and pasting, and and that can really save a finance team's you know life. They they make their lives so much better, which then you know cascades into their constituents because it's not just about making our team's life better, but we know everybody's looking for information. The CEO and the board and the, and the sales team and the employees and everybody's pounding on the the finance team for more and more insights, more and more information. Costs are being cut. Um, budgets are tighter and tighter so the only way to be able to do this successfully is to is as you say invest in these technologies and these ways to bridge systems and create efficiencies yeah so so you you know you were the boss right so so you could basically tell people that they should take this two hours a week out of their day job time to actually do these things right so so, so you, you probably still had to fight a little bit for that, but, but at least you were giving them the space to do that. Whereas, you know, in some organizations, I can imagine bosses don't give people the space to do these new things enough, right? I, I imagine that's quite an important part of this as well, like you seeing the vision and driving it. Yeah, and even, uh, exactly. And even despite, you know, try, it's hard because most of the, you know, the finance teams are on the ground doing the work and, and they're the ones I'm asking to stop, you know, and to, to, to push that work aside, even though those deadlines aren't changing. So I understand when I'm asking the team to stop and think about these things, that they're really making a big investment. So they have to see the reward in that. And even then it's hard because, you know, they're trying to get the job done and, and get the reports out and nobody's going to give them more time to do it if we'd love to, but usually you can't. So you know, trying to encourage the teams that we can make micro investments or the broader investments are going to really pay off um, helping put the resources to bear. I find that one thing that especially more junior finance teams uh, or people mistake they make is they don't ask for enough help. Um, so we think we can do it or, you know, because we're the ones always telling other groups they've got to make difficult decisions. We're the ones going to, you know, to UAG and say, well, we got to tighten the budget. And so we feel bad when we have to spend more money to do these things. 
But we have to be able to do that. We have to be able to ask for the help, the technology, the investments, because it benefits the broader organization. And I think that's where I, you know, where I've seen more maturity in, in CFOs that are able to do that. And, it, and, and as you said, you really have to stand up and say, this is going to be worth it. I'm going to put your time and money into this. Um, but that requires the vision and, and selling that vision to your team and, and the constituents. Because I was talking to um, one of my former colleagues just recently, and he said, you know, he's trying to get some information. And, and uh, I, he, he said, I would love it if the finance team invested some more money in technology and people to be able to do these things. And, you know, it, it was it was great to hear, but I'm sure many finance leaders and finance uh, FP&A uh, people and teams in finance don't realize that um, those requests and that need uh, would be filled by a lot of the, their teammates if they had, uh, you know, asked and, and pushed for the vision. Yeah. Well, what about the challenge, though, of, you know, I mean, you started out in public accounting, right? You, you didn't start out as an engineer starting technology, or maybe you did, but you know, you didn't say that, right? <laughs> so, um, so one thing that I always appreciated back in the day when, when we worked together was that even though you didn't understand the technology, you did have the sense of what technology was capable of doing, you know, and then you, you, you know, you came to us, for example, for, for help, but you know, and, and one of the, te and the technology, the specific technology we worked together on was the TM1, which is now called IBM Planning Analytics. And I think that turned out to be an example, and I'm not saying that's everybody's answer, but it's an example of a technology that you were able to understand well enough to see multiple applications for, right? Do you remember anything about the process by which you found that? Or was it because, were you looking for something or did it fall in your lap? Or can you remember that far back at all? Wow, that, that was a long time ago. Um, no, yeah, I, I can. We, we did a, well, you know, it kind of, um, I was fortunate enough to have a team that was equally um, uh, really obsessed with stamping out these inefficiencies and had the same vision that the work they were doing, a lot of it didn't need to be done, really. It, it, a computer or a system of technology could handle a lot of it. And so with that mindset, we went out and looked for lots of things. And I don't remember uh, all of the tools we looked at, because as you mentioned, I am not a technologist by any stretch. I'm just a believer in the benefits of uh, what it could do for our finance team and an organization. And, so we came to TM1 after looking at multiple systems. And this was an example of a company that was small, uh, didn't have a lot of budget. And we really pushed um, and went uphill with this investment and had to convince the CEO and the executive team who, who as I said, were making sacrifices in other areas. Um, and to their credit, they, they gave us the, the bandwidth to, to make the investment. And I think it taught me and the team at the time, AG, you and your team taught us that um, especially because TM1 was so flexible and so customizable and so adaptable, it just taught us that there's so many ways you can kind of move the information around your system more easily, uh, calculate on the fly, uh, dimensions and OLAP cubes and all those things were things we learned about, uh, you guys taught us about. And that really opened our eyes and I, I still have um, and I still had uh, people on my team, even two companies later that remember that and just remember the concept that 
this, this information can be moved around and calculated a lot more easily than we're doing it right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As I recall, it was, um, without giving too much away, I think it was a lot of revenue projections um, that were pretty complicated. And I, I was part of, you know, getting it to work for you in, in, in TM1. And I just cannot imagine how you would even have done that in Excel. <laughs> no, that's right. We had a lot of assumptions we wanted to make and we had a very sophisticated forecast. And, and I think that's um, one of the things I think is a, is a foundation of, of a financial system and including a control mechanism is a good forecast. So, you know, the accountants and the controls um, are all really important um, in terms of, of, of the things that happen in, in transactional controls. But I think a really important control is a robust forecast. So that's what we were trying to do. And it's what we always do is build a rolling, sophisticated, robust forward projection. And then we compare that to our actual results. And if that forecast is good, it's going to lead us to understand the, the results and maybe there's mistakes in the results. So it's a control mechanism as well as a, as a view forward. And so, and of course, there's nothing more important than, than revenue and in, in a business's uh, you know, outlook and projection. So that was a key focus for us and always has been. And the, exactly, you can automate those things. We know exactly how we want to project revenue. There's 10 or 20 assumptions and dimensions, and it's just a matter of getting them to work together the right way. And it can be virtually seamless. And I know now there's technology that does it sort of more easily. And maybe, I don't know if this was 20 years ago or 15 years ago, AG, but it was a while ago. But you know, even then, even for now, it, I've been in systems and groups that could have benefited from what we did 15 years ago, just, just last year. So, um, but yes, it's, it was um, really eye-opening uh, to, to me and my team, what, what the technology could do. And I think it further fueled our, our desire to stamp out these inefficiencies that we know we don't have to uh, be living with. Yeah, that, that's a great, great example and brings back good memories. And I have to tell you that you were ahead of your time um, for sure. Um, and, um, you know, I think the key takeaway here is that you don't have to be a technology expert to find these things and to do these things. But the key thing that set you and your team apart was that asking that question, that simple question, there has to be a better way. Let me go look and see if I can find it, right? That's right. There, there is a better way. There has to, that's a great way of putting it. There has to be a better way. Um, and, and that can really help us. And it, but it, it takes the work, it takes the investment and the time um, and the belief uh, and the money uh, to get there, but it is worth it in the end. There, there definitely is a better way. So let's um, kind of summarize all of these great things that you've shared today about stamping out inefficiencies. For some reason, that reminds me of I don't know, a joke about stamping out forest fires with duck feet or something. <laughs> so what lessons or advice? I mean, you've mentioned a few things, but maybe you can distill them all. What lessons of advice have you learned from your experience as a, as a finance leader and as a CEO in helping people break that cycle of being stuck in the day job and kind of make things better? Yeah, okay. Um, well, I think you said it really well when you said there has to be a better way. And I think that's that kind of uh, that summarizes the mindset that I encourage all finance leaders and teams to have 
is as they're going through their day to day, think about, is there a better way? And it could be small and it could be large and bring that up and create. And the other thing is you've got to create the time. And I know creating time is really hard, especially for finance teams under the gun, but create some time, an hour a week, maybe have a meeting where you could just put things to the side and talk about, is there a better way? Um, and that's a phrase uh, you coined, AG, just now, but I think it really kind of uh, encapsulates what, um, you know, kind of how we tried to approach it. Um, and know that it takes a lot of, it takes the work. You have to carve out the time and make the, obviously the investment in cost, but there is a better way. And there's a vision that you and your team can buy into. And I would say not only getting the team to buy in, for any finance leaders know how important it is to get their team to buy in if they're investing that valuable time, but your peers, don't, you know, don't forget about your peers on the executive team and in the business. They also want a better way. They also would want deeper insights and faster analytics and better reporting. So they can be your partners, even though you may think they, they may not want to make the investment and maybe they you know, have different views, but partner with them as well. And then you're not doing it alone. Um, so I would say those are the sort of key takeaways. Yeah, is it is it fair to say as well? And and certainly I, I know I've seen this, you know, in my life as a consultant, that once you commit to that better way and you make that investment and you find that extra hour or two a week to to improve things and you, you know, find some technologies that help you along, that it actually frees you up. It frees you up and it buys you time. Um Maybe, maybe it actually shortens your work week while still allowing you to deliver better quality work, right? Because we all know that you're not going to have your best ideas when you're tired after working 12 hours a day. But just imagine being able to get away from all the cutting and pasting and the checking numbers and double checking numbers and worrying that the number's wrong in the report and all of that stuff. Imagine getting away from all the time you spend on that and being able to focus on the insights and the analysis and the, you know, the really interesting stuff. Yeah, and that's exactly, exactly right. You, you may free up some time and maybe you've got some um, you know, shorter weeks and you don't have those six, but really what the finance teams that I've worked with wanna do is, as you say, create those deeper insights. They wanna provide new analytics and new insights and new value to their, to their business partners and to the people in the business. So now you're gonna spend that time and that new information you're getting and, and just build the value up and, and, and bring your game up a level. And I think that's what the finance teams that I've worked with have always really wanted to do. In addition to making life a little easier, but you're right, it's not about making life easier. It's about doing better work and, and providing those better insights. Yeah, that, that's great, Brian. So, so I do want to congratulate you on your new executive coaching gig. And I really appreciate you mining your past to share some of your wisdom with, with me and our listeners today. Um, but if anybody out there wants to hear more about, you know, how executive coaching might help them, how can they reach you? Yeah, great. Thank you for, for mentioning that, AG. I, I am uh, doing now executive coaching and I'm focusing on CFOs and trying to help CFOs with those challenges that I know uh, they face. Um, so you can, you can see me on LinkedIn, uh, and you can also see me at my website, which is www.stoicexecutive.com. That's one word. And on LinkedIn, I'm doing weekly videos and blogs and content where you can kind of get a sense of my style and approach. 
uh, or you can check out my website. Um, as I said, www.stoicexecutive.com. That's um, S-T-O-I-C executive.com. That's right. One word. Awesome. Well, I've checked it out. It looks cool. And I have to um, give you an endorsement. Your videos are really nice and um, I'm enjoying them. So thank you once again for being with us today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to the Ask Qubit About Analytics podcast. Do stay in touch. You can email us at info at qubit.com or check out past episodes and transcripts at qubit.com forward slash podcast. Until next time, take care. Mm-hmm.